Well, last night we had a great time. For those of you that came to the Mets game, uh, thank you for taking part in that trip. That was a lot of fun. For the adults that came, I'm sure I owe your kids an apology because I yelled at every player on the field, but that's okay. Um, if any of you know, I'm a coach first, right, then a pastor. I, it's, just, it's, just how the, it's just how it works. The, uh, for those of you that are not sport people, I am so sorry. You honestly might need to consider a new church because my sports illustrations and my coach talk might drive you nuts in about three weeks. So uh, pray about that. But no, we really did. We had a great time together. Uh, we were able to, uh, to get almost all the tickets out there to all you guys, and it was just a great time in the, the community of it. We're going to continue to do events like that uh, throughout the year that just kind of hit different areas of people uh, to help bring us all together. Uh, because how many of you know we grow warmer together when we fellowship? Amen? Amen. Well, if you were, if you were with us last night, you heard me be, last night. <laughs> I did not preach last night. I yelled. <laughs> they lost. <laughs> Save your Yankee jokes for later, okay? <laughs> if you were with us last week, uh, I started a, a series titled, Will Somebody Please Tell Me the Truth? The whole idea of this concept of truth and the attack of on truth that I truly see here in America, it kind of boiled down to three specific things that I covered. I'll just recap them if, in case you missed it very quickly. Uh, the first thing was this basic idea that sin separates and grace redeems, right? Just this basic idea that if we're going to start talking about uh, the truth of mistakes, the truth of error, the truth called sin that we read about in the Bible, we have to understand that these actions that separate us from God, right? Yes, they are covered by his grace, and we're going to get to in a few minutes what that looks like, but I want to just leave that as simple as we spoke last week. Sin separates and grace redeems. Amen? Secondly, truth doesn't change based on feeling, right? The, most, the second most simple thing we covered last week is just that, you know, our attitude that day, the morning we wake up, the, the way we go about our day, just because we have a certain approach and an attitude, it doesn't justify truth changing. Truth remains the same, based, and it doesn't change based on popular opinion. It doesn't change based on style. It doesn't change based on government, amen? There is one government, and that is the authority of Christ, amen? Third, I put it this way, it is grace that rescues and accountability that leads to growth. It is grace that rescues and accountability that leads to growth. This last statement really segues into this week as we begin to talk about the growing part of identifying sin and now growing away from that and walking away and understanding that process called sanctification, we start to see this idea that when accountability is absent, right, we find ourselves often dying. We ourselves in human nature do not often possess the character to keep ourselves on course. We're flawed, we're lazy. Right? You could pick whatever acronym, whatever adjective that would describe you, whatever word, whatever phrase, whatever quote that you might kind of tie to your life that kind of, you know, I am young and free, right? I am wild and going. Like whatever you, whatever you would kind of attribute to yourself, right? I want you to kind of think about that for a minute and just understand that, yes, it is grace that rescues us, but it is accountability that will eventually lead to growth. I started to ask myself as I prepared through most of this message, why is it that for most of us, right? Why is it that for most of us, we, when, when we, cha- we, we often change our ways and our habits when the hardest times of life come our way, right? Why does it take tragedy? Why does it take heartache? Why does it take all these rough moments, right, for us to truly say, 
Okay, God, I've had enough. I'm awake now. Here we go. I'll do this. I don't understand because when you go to work every day, right, and maybe not everybody, but I'm going to assume everybody's a great worker out there or a great, uh, or a great contributor in many different ways of life and society. Amen. When you go about your day, whatever you do, right, I am going to just assume that you do it and that you are being proactive. But if I'm being honest, I know that many of us are reactive. We live lifestyles. We walk through the day. We walk through our jobs, and we react to what's happening. When this happens, we just go, well, I'm sorry. That was the best for the moment. We just kind of say, no, I made this decision. I, I, I did these things. I am reactive. Church, I want to tell you that our faith doesn't support a reactive society. Our faith, the substance of things that are not yet seen, by a God who reveals things to us as we need them, is living proof that we as Christian people should be more proactive than reactive in our character. Of course you're going to react to things. But the whole point in starting to build character, in starting to understand this idea that it's this grace that rescues me, but there's this spiritual accountability first to God that's going to now grow me. There is this part where I want to challenge you in the beginning that you have to be proactive in your faith. And being proactive in your faith means that your prayer life must be present. If your prayer life is not present, then you're most likely also not in the word. And if you're not praying and you're not in the word, you're starving. You're starving spiritually because two of the major key components of your life are missing from your diet. Come on now. And these things are so important. And I believe that God is trying to lay a foundation through this. And if you ask me, you say, Nick, what led you to kind of talk about this idea? What, 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 what made you kind of come to this, this series of somebody telling the truth? You know, what really takes me there is, is the fallen character of man to be honest. What takes me there, if I'm being transparent, is even my own character. Come on now. You put yourself up here and join me and say it with me now, right? Our character, right? What drives me crazy is, I don't know if any of you have been a youth pastor out there, but kids want to know real answers. Come on now. But Pastor Nick, why does this happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why did this happen to my mom and dad? Why did that happen in my family? Why did that happen to me when I was seven? Am I talking to anybody out there today? The reason I want to talk about truth in the context of God under, helping us understand that sin separates, but God wants to build character the reason that drives me is that I feel like the more I reach out, the more I ask somebody to keep me accountable, the more I try to talk to someone, the less I find people, I'm being honest. The less I find someone who's willing to say, yes, 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 I want to raise the bar of my life to be in a place where you would challenge me and I would challenge you. We live in this place, and, and we often struggle with these ideas, but I'll take you back to my question. What would truly make you want to change your habits? What would truly make you want to change your lifestyle? What would truly bring change to you? And I want to challenge you with that this morning because I want you to go home and ask yourself that today. 
The greatest picture of change that I experienced in my younger life in ministry is often retreats at a youth, young adult setting and then conferences for adults. There is this moment that I see people get so stinking excited for God and 20 minutes later, they're lower than they were before they started that place. Somebody's got to explain it to me. How? Pastor Nick, that was the best night of worship. Pastor Nick, that was the best word I heard from that preacher. Oh, you've got to hear that. God did so much to me. And two days later in my email box, I can't get up. Come on now. Have you been there before? We often don't understand the level of character it's going to take to make it. And Jesus kept speaking through those he raised up, through the disciples, and then through those they discipled. And he said, you have to understand it's not going to get easier. The truth is these days are going to keep getting harder. Your truth, the core of the gospel, is going to continue to become eroded. And if you allow it to happen and you don't become a beacon of real hope, real love, real life, then there is going to be no more examples out there. I don't want to do that, Pastor Nick, because everybody I saw do that, they, they didn't succeed. Why would I want to be like that? Why, why would I want to do that? Church, I, I, I just, I'll tell you, and I'll, and I'll continue to say it this way. One of the points that I put up here for you today, failure to prepare is, pre- is preparing to fail. The proactive nature that does not exist often in our lives is basically us saying, hey, I've prepared to fail. I am just going in this day. Whatever happens, happens. Whatever goes, goes. Whatever comes, comes. No, no, no. Listen, it's just not biblical to live like that. It's biblical to live in an understanding that God prepared the earth before he put you in it. Come on. And he saw that it was what? Good. He prepared everything from the details of the ground, of things that would be on it, right? Of things that would be above it, things that would be below it, how vast the heavens. Do you understand how detailed God is in Scripture? You understand He pays attention to every detail of your life. He pays attention to to the biggest things and the small things. You know why He does it? Because He cares and He loves. But today for you and your character, as we begin this message, I want to challenge you that wherever you need to raise the bar in your preparation, you need to go do that this week. There needs to be a new preparation, and I'm asking you to do that before something happens in your life. If it's it's your physical health, make an adjustment. If it's your mental health, make an adjustment. If it's your emotional health, if it's the health of your marriage, if it's the health of your relationship with your children or your coworkers, don't just keep going about your days and hoping they get fixed. Do something about it in Jesus' name. Oh, am I talking to anybody today? James 1.5 says it this way, if any of you lacks wisdom and you should ask who? You realize he didn't say ask Pastor Nick, right? He didn't say, ask your husband, ask your wife, ask your kids. What did he say first? Ask God. We so often ask everybody else before we invite God to the party. But I've said this before and I'll repeat it. When things go wrong, who's the first to be blamed? Come on, help me out. God. 
You know it. I know it. Let's be real. <laughs> I do it too. But God, but God. But before that, on the, on the flip side, it's always, oh, but honey. Oh, oh, friend. And God's saying, hold on, do me a favor. If you're going to blame me, at least invite me to the party. At least let me try to be a part of this. At least, at least let me try to make a difference. Man, I hope I'm speaking to somebody because I promise you this morning that God is preparing us. He's, he's, he's building a, a character foundation in us for whatever is coming our way and much of which we see already. Let's keep reading James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The, excuse me. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Say this word with me. Say unstable. It is extremely important that we recognize the stability of our individual character and leadership. For many people, and I know you've kind of just said it yourself, I'm sure, when you've read a, an article on a person or you've thought about a friend of yours who's just maybe had some mental health crisis or certain things that have happened in their life where you felt like they were just this way one day and the next day they were just somebody that was very different or somebody you didn't recognize or whatever, right? I want you to see that what Scripture is talking about in here is that at the core of a person who is walking apart from Christ is this unstable spiritual walk with God, right? The stability of who you are as a person is extremely important. A few weeks ago, I, I shared a message, and the title of it was Recognize, Recognize What's Being Attacked. Why across all of America, at every level of who people are and what they do, is our identity as people, characters being attacked? You're not good enough. You're not qualified enough. You're not pretty enough. You don't do enough. You're not here enough. You're not old enough. You're not young enough. Come on now. Why in every part of our lives as we look out into society and the things that we do, why is the identity of a person constantly being attacked? Because if the identity of a person is constantly under attack, they will be what? Unstable. And if there's no stability in who they are, what they do is constantly changing. Come on now. And if we have an unstable culture, that means we're just going to get unpredictable results. And so if we're trying to figure out why people are having problems, why people can't keep their spiritual, their mental health, their physical health in shape, why? It's because there is an instability in their life that they cannot grab hold of, and that's called their identity. Who they are at the core continues to shift. All the other things are just a byproduct of that instability. For you yourself in this time period, my prayer in Scripture and just reading James 1 is that you would understand that in the areas with God, in the areas of your life that just don't make sense, you've got to go to Him and ask for wisdom. That wisdom is so important to the stability of your character, which then leads to the stability of your walk with Christ. Amen? I share a point with you that I wrote this way. Your expectations often mark your finish line. Your expectation often marks 
your finish line. For some of you, when you get out of bed in the morning, when you set your feet to the day, you have already told yourself that the day is over. That's what I mean by marking your own finish line. Well, this is just going to be another one of those days. There it is. There's the finish line. There's no faith. There's no trust. There's no expectation. You've basically just spoken out loud and said, God, we might as well move on to Tuesday because Monday's going to be horrible. Come on. Anybody okay with that happening if that was real? You know, just skip Monday and go to Tuesday. Friday would even be better, right? But the reason I wrote it this way, right, your, ex, your, your expectations often mark your finish line because I don't think we realize, and now hear me, I'm not a name it and claim it kind of preacher. I'm not like, hey, God, I want my house right now, and all of a sudden it appears and I got no money to pay for it, right? I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that kind of stuff, okay? It's just not me, all right? But what I do understand is that if I change my finances to reflect my saving abilities and I ask God to step in and provide in those ways and I am obedient enough to stay the course and I continue to save and march this out, that God will meet me in that place of obedience. Come on, somebody. And he will begin to pour out and provide in a way that I couldn't by myself because he's a good dad. But you see, he can't give something like that to a person who's unstable. Why? Because it's just going to break. It's just going to fall apart. The stability of our character is so important. And as we begin to begin to separate in this, right, and we start to understand our finish line, we have to extend that finish line to look more like a marathon than a 100-yard sprint. If we push that finish line out, And we say, God, I need to make room today for what you want to do. By the way, I'm not happy about Monday. (laughs) That's a whole different way of approaching tomorrow than it is by saying, here it is, just another day. Let me just put the stripe right down now. Here's the finish line. And some of you, you're doing it and you don't even realize it. Your attitude has gotten to a point for yourself that you don't even realize how toxic you've become, not even to others, but for yourself. And you've got to take a moment and realize that as we look at this idea that sin separates and we talk about the relationship of the Father and we desire to grow with him and we just want to be the best us, you want to be the best you, then you've got to begin to recognize the areas you need to grow in your life. Read with me in Romans 6. We're going to stay there for a little while, so if you want to turn your Bibles to Romans 6, feel free. Romans 6, verse 1. It'll also be up on the the screen for you. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? You know somebody got slapped for asking that question, right? (laughs) So I know this is wrong, Dad. (laughs) But you good if I just keep on doing this for a little bit? (laughs) Or if I do it a little more? Verse 2. Come on now. The person sitting here, right? By no means... We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a what? New life. Upon your recognition that sin separates, 
and the opening of your eyes, right, the revelation that this is wrong. It is not a momentary happening that you forget what sin is. It's not, it doesn't work like that. But the Bible claims it and talks very strongly about this, the idea of sanctification. You being separated from your flesh by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the problem that I want to walk out with you. Many of us choose to dismiss the Holy Spirit and then we just try to live better. I am doing good. I'm doing better. And here's the most difficult part of this. In the second verse here, as you read through it, it says, by no means. You can just understand that the writer is just has this level of conviction. I got like a, like, almost like a stomachache kind of feeling when I think about it, right? Where it's just like, by no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? There is this level of disgust, right? There's this level of, but don't you know what you're giving up to live like that? Don't you know what you're exchanging one for the other? Don't you know the dangers in this way, in this life, in what you are doing and what you've chosen and where you're walking? Come on now, somebody. Don't you see it? It's not about being judged by people. It's about being loved by God. And we have to care more about that than what other people are going to say about us. I love that part of our world. I don't want to hear from any of you. I want to hear from God. That's what matters. I want to hear him tell me, well done, good and faithful servant. And i got to be honest with you, and I'm going to throw this in because I'll get to parts of this in a minute. I know I'm skipping ahead in my notes, but I'm just going to say it to you this way. I am not comfortable with playing games with my eternity. Listen, I'm just as messed up as many of you out there. I make my mistakes and I have to repent. I'm human. Titles don't make you not human. Come on now. But what the passage is speaking about is that there must be this presence of the Holy Spirit in your life that is continuously challenging you to shed the things that were and live to new life. And if that's not present, a brother to brother in relationship, a sister to sister in relationship should be able to look over and say, I love you so much, but you know God took you from that. You know he set you free. You know he walked with you. You know he talked with you. You know he's living with you. And now you just need to keep going to be loved like Jesus. But going back to what I was saying about eternity, I think for a lot of us, I'm going to say it in two ways. Number one, I think at the end of the day, there are going to be a lot more people in heaven than you and I are comfortable with. Whew. Is that a fair statement? When you read through scripture and you grab hold of judgment, it's a very difficult study, and I challenge you to look through it. But you know what I really love about the idea of judge? His name's not Nick. His name's not Thomas or Brian or Sarah. His name is God. And as we open up the word of God, he gives us these precepts. He gives us this scripture. He gives us this life. And he gives us these choices. And at the root of those choices is a simple moment. 
And he says it this way, right? And you know this. I'm just talking to you for a minute, but walk this with me for the sake of your theology today. If you confess with your mouth and you believe with your heart that I am God, then you are what? I'm saved. The Bible also says, now what? Now go and flee from your sin. You see, this struggle for eternity is a reality, and we need to talk about it, church, because it's a big part of our faith. Because the devil is real. Separation from God is real. Come on now. But heaven is a treasure worth, worth journeying for. And I think this is the part that we're missing. Because I don't know about you, when I talk to people, I get this sense that they just say, Pastor Nick, I just don't know why it's worth living like that. Why do I have to give up this? Why do I have to not do that? Why can't I, why can't, why can't I just, you know, and you're sitting there and you're going, but doesn't God love, somebody say it with me, you know what I mean? Doesn't God love me still? And you know the scariest part, even as Pastor Nick, I'm going to stand here and say it is, yeah, he does. But don't use it as an excuse to live in your mess. His grace is sufficient. His salvation is for his children, for those who believe. I say it again, I don't know about you, but every day I live, I want to try to do my best to come before him and to ask him to cleanse me, to, to, to heal me, to walk with me. Why? Not because I'm scared, but because I am okay with saying I'm afraid with living without Jesus. Man, somebody say that with me this morning, you know? <laughs> it's okay for you to be a little bit scared in a healthy sense, that reverent fear that the Bible talks about. Why? Because fear is the beginning of wisdom. Come on now. It's okay to have that little bit inside of you that says, you know what? I'm not sure about this. And when I took it to prayer, this is where I got to for now. And I'm going to walk this out until God shows me something else. Am I with, is anybody with me this morning? I've never had a conversation with somebody that, that, I, that I felt just was listening to the Holy Spirit and left confused. Why? Because the spirit, of excuse me, the spirit of confusion doesn't live with the Lord. There is a rhythm and a rhyme and more importantly, a peace to what happens. Man, are you with me this morning? I know this is a lot, but can I go there with you? Raise your hand. Give me one hand if I can keep going here with you. You're with me. Okay. All right. Verse 1, when shall we say then, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we are those who have died to sin. He can we, he, how can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. We too may live, what was it again? A new life. Come on now. You can write the point if you're just a point person out there. I wrote it for you this way, summarizing what I just shared just a brief minute ago. The cross isn't an excuse. It's our freedom. Read with me in verse 11 in Romans chapter 6. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have, brought from, who have been brought from death to life 
and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. I love this verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. I have people make this statement to me very often. Pastor Nick, there are things in the Bible that are just not fully clear. And I said, yeah, that's, that's a lot of the Bible, <laughs> all right? And they just begin to kind of talk from that place. And as I begin, and they say, well, Pastor Nick, is there like a line, right? Like if I'm here with this, or if I do this, or if, this, if it's in my life just this amount, or if these things are present, if this, I, I, how many of you know, know what I'm talking about this morning, right? Verse 14, but for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What I want you to understand what happens is this. When you are living a life and you have this conviction and you come to God and you say, Pastor Nick, or you come to a leader or F for prayer or maybe a friend of yours and you say, I just know that there's something off in my life. I know there's something that I, I'm just not doing right. I want you to pray with me, right? What I want you to understand is that when you invite God into your mess, what he literally does is he breaks the chains right, of that bondage for you, right? He snaps what's holding you, and you are no longer allowed to be led by that. Come on now. If you were being fully transparent to any struggle that you've ever had in your lifetime, you would understand that in those moments, you not only felt drawn to those things, those moments, those life, whatever it is in your life, but you even felt controlled by it. And what this scripture is telling us is that when you walk in your struggles, when, and hear me, it could be anything in any range, right? What happens in Christ is that the Holy Spirit breaks that and brings a freedom that you now have a decision to make. Come on now. This is the part everybody misses. God, I have struggled with this since I was 7, 12, 14. This has been a part of my family for generations. This has just been an attitude, an approach that we've lived with. And God help me with it, right? I want you to understand that God coming into that moment is freeing you up to now make the right decision. This is where people get it wrong. I need you to hear me this morning. God does not come in and just, woof, nothing ever happened. Wow. Like the men in black when they used to take the, the photo of the guy and he used to forget everything that happened before then right? That's not what this is saying, right? That's not what this is happening. There's no little camera that makes you forget everything that happened before this. No. Now, I do believe God heals you of certain things, and I do believe there's memories that he does help put, especially some of the hardest, most difficult things. I believe he provides a grace and a healing for you. I'm not discounting that, amen? But what I am saying is that your life does not evaporate. Your struggles just don't go away just because you invite God into them. What happens when you invite God into your struggle is that he releases you from that struggle. And he says and he shows and he says, son and daughter, I need you to grab hold today. This is how you got there. Look back. You know, man, I didn't realize that for this long I've walked with this. I didn't realize that, that, that something so simple ended up so complicated and complex. And we just don't realize it. And for some of you, that I'll use just an easy one, a simple one, like depression and anxiety. It was just a sad moment or a moment that you struggled with most often that you continue to allow to just kind of engross you. And, and before you know it, it's controlling where you go. Come on, somebody. 
It's controlling who you're with. It's controlling where you can be. It's controlling what what happens around you. And God's saying, whoa, 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 hold on here. That's not gonna go away like this, but what will happen is I can set you free from that, that captivity feeling. I can help you understand that, that, that going out and being a part of things you're afraid of is okay. I can set you free and help you understand that you must choose your freedom in Jesus' name. And church, that's the most important thing as we begin to understand the truth about sin and our relationship with Christ is that we chose sin. As we continue to walk this way and talk this way, as people who have Christ revealed to us, we must not only flee from things that are wicked, but we must walk towards Christ. It's an action step that I think we're missing. I'll say it one more time, right? You see yourself here, your eyes are open. Wow, I should not do this. I should not live like this. I should not walk like this and talk like this. But if you stay right here, you know what's gonna happen? You're very likely to go back over here. You're very likely to just be drawn back by what was because it was comfortable, because it was easy, it made sense. But meanwhile, God over here is standing here and saying, hey, I've set you free, but by the way, you gotta choose to now come with me. I've been waiting for you for 15 years to get rid of that. Come on. I've been telling you since you were a kid you were called to do that. You were gonna be able to reach these people. You were gonna be able to do these things. You were gonna be able to walk like that. You're the one who has been in captivity. I am a God of freedom. That's what scripture promises me. I don't know about you. I said it this way. The character of a person is defined by their obedience to Christ. The character of a person is defined by their obedience to Christ. I've had a lot of people, and especially some of the pastors we've had come through and others that I've just walked with in my younger times in ministry, just kind of say to me, Pastor, how do you know who's a good mentor? How do you know who is somebody that I can trust to pour into me? One of the very first things that I, I tell them to talk about and I tell them to look for is I tell them to look at their obedience to Christ. And I know for some of you that's hard. You're like, well, how, how do you measure that when you're just watching somebody? How do you, how do you just kind of see that? You, don't you have to? And the truth of it is this. If you've got a mentor you don't spend time with, you need to find a new mentor. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Amen? And what I mean by that is when you watch them interact as a couple, when you, when you watch them interact with their children, when you watch that person as an individual go about their days, when you watch them put things on Instagram, when you watch them do and, and, and live and to breathe and you, and you sit there and you go, I, I, I believe that obedience is that the character, that's somebody you want to be like. As we continue to walk, read with me, Romans six fifteen. What then shall we sin? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Come on now. I'll read that again. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to what? death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that is now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm going to share with you two passages that show the blessing of obedience. Exodus 19.5 says it this way. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, 
then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. Worship team, if you can join me. I love that passage because I think what it begins to show, and I know God often for us seems as distant as we allow him to be. But this verse means so much to me because it says it in here. If you obey me and fully keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, I mean, out of everything, right? Out of the created, you will be my greatest treasure. I hope you take that today. Second John says it this way. Second John 1, 4 through 8. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love. How many of you have been looking for a definition? Because I got one for you here. That we walk in obedience to his commands. You know, I, I really struggle with the idea that in our world today, love is defined by a hug. Love is, love is defined by how much you give. And I tell you what, as I begin to read scripture and I begin to just understand more and more, it's not about giving to receive, amen? I say it often to our married couples. You need to be the one in your relationship. And every time you give, you should not expect to receive because you gave out of the free love of your heart, amen? It's so, it's so powerful, it's so simple. But it's a principle that Christ gives us, that we would give from our overflow, we would give even sacrificially from our life, something that we could offer the person God has trusted us with, that they would receive something from Christ today in Jesus' name. It has given me great joy, verse four in 2 John chapter one, that some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us, now, dear lady, I'm, right, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another in this love that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, we have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for but that you may be fully, excuse me, but that you may be rewarded fully. As I dive through this last portion of scripture, I'm going to begin to unpack something in the coming days and share with you as I feel led by the Lord. But I am fully convinced that the biggest thing most Christians struggle with is this idea of, of the reward that God talks about in heaven. When we talk and we walk and we live this life, the rewards that we receive here on earth seem a lot better than what God promises hopefully one day in heaven. Come on. And I think for a lot of people, when we talk to them in our world today, especially living in the business aspect of the world we live in, this part of the, of the country in the Northeast here, everybody wants to know what they're gonna gain from what they give. Come on now. Everybody wants to know what they're going to get on their return in their investment. And I often think, and I wonder if you've asked yourself, because I want to ask you and give you a little bit of a, 
of a preparation for the coming weeks that you would begin to even read scripture and ask God to show you a bit of this, right? But I think if we truly understood the treasure, the reward that God has for us, we would not so easily throw it away here on earth. We would understand that, that, that all of the levels of what he wants to do, not only do we throw away what's in front of us, not only are we throwing away relationships, and not only are we throwing away things that we can't see and perceive and understand, right? But there is this idea that as we walk through the scripture, we understand that one day we're going to stand before God, and yes, we want to hear those words, well done, and man, we might be a mess standing there, but I tell you what, there is a legacy worth building and leaving, and I want to challenge you to start building that legacy if you haven't. Everything we could build with our earthly hands will one day fall. But everything we build for eternity will live on for eternity in Christ. We invest so much in this world. And God is saying, have you thought about the idea that you need to start investing in heaven? And now I promise you, I'm not taking an offering after this. This ain't one of those discussions. I'm talking about the fact that you go home and there are people in your home spiritually dying. That you go to work and there are people starving for a meal that you have on your plate. I'm talking about those that you walk and live and move and breathe with daily who need what you have, but you're so worried about offending them that you won't share it. Please do me a favor. If you're offended by God, please reread the Gospels. He was never offended for you. As a matter of fact, he was mocked, he was bruised, he was beaten, and he was crucified for you. And he said it. He said, do you have to remember that if they did it to me, they're going to do it to you? You have to remember that. Do not be discouraged. But run this race to the fullest. Press on toward the prize of Christ. And I think for some of you, I'm going to give you the first part of it to take, and then you can build off there, and we'll build off the weeks. But I don't even think for most of us, we really fully, because I'll tell you what, in our churches today and in many other places, we don't value salvation like we used to. We don't value true discipleship like we used to. I need you to understand, as a pastor of this church, your eternity matters to me. And I want you to hear me say that in a loving way. I want you to know that sin separates, but God loves you. He redeems you. He has grace for you. And he understands that you're a work in progress. And he understands that there's going to be some areas that need miracles. Come on, somebody. You see, we got to start taking the character of God and putting it in our prayers. God, I'm coming to you today because I'm a mess. This area needs a miracle. This one's going to be a pretty long journey, by the way. I've been this stubborn since I was five. <laughs> this has been a part of me since I was born. Help me. But I want to challenge you that the greatest ingredient to empower you to walk and live a spirit-filled life, Christ-centered, and building a character of Christ, is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. For many of you, you've never just asked God to come in. And I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about filling you. I'm talking about giving, him, giving you more of him daily. And for some of you, the struggle is, hey, Pastor Nick, my prayer life is just not there. I, I know I got to do, no, no, listen to me. Stop all the, all the religious talk, please. You have a relationship with God. 
You have the most direct line you could ever ask for to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Do me a favor. Save the song and the dance. Shut the door in your bedroom when you go home today. Tell everybody to leave you alone. Leave your cell phone on the outside of the door. And just invite God into that space. Because he's real. He is powerful. And he holds the key to everything you need in his will. You received that this morning, church. Would you stand with me as we close? Romans 19, 23. I'm going to close with this verse and we're going to pray right now and worship as we close today. It says, for the, Lord, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I like the way they said it in the message. I feel like it's a practical takeaway for you in that translation. So I'm going to reread verse 23 as we go today. It says it this way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. Work hard for sin your whole life, and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our master. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I thank you for Living Word Church, God. I thank you that you're beginning to build a character inside of us that's going to change this region. I thank you, God, that you're beginning to shape us and position us in a place where we will stand tall and firm. And although we know that, that many will come against, we know that, that many of this world will even come against and try to erode our faith and try to erode the basis of what we believe in you in Christ Jesus. But we thank you today that no foundation can be shaken, God. We thank you that, God, we, we will never crumble in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, that we stand firm on you, the creator, the maker, the sustainer of heaven and earth, God. Lord, we thank you today that our salvation is in you, and I pray today, if anyone here does not know you, God, that they would truly confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that you are Lord, and they would begin to walk towards you this day in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters out there who are walking with you, and I pray, God, that you would continue to challenge them through your word, that we would understand what we give up when we choose sin. Not only does sin separate, but it costs us a reward. And so we thank you, God, today that as you open our eyes, we ask you to give us the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, that we would have the character we need to sustain the walk that we want. We want to see you do miracles. We want to see you do great things in our families, in our personal lives, in those around us, God. But we know it starts with our relationship with you. And so, Father, we hunger and thirst for you. And we thank you in Jesus' name that you are our Savior. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Can we give the Lord a praise this morning, church?